There wouldn't be a This Developer's Life if there weren't sponsors to help pay for the bandwidth and the equipment, and we appreciate them. We want to let you know that Twilio has helped us this episode. Twilio lets you build powerful voice and SMS apps. We encourage you to check them out. T-W-I-L-I-O.com, Twilio, thank you. And also Umbraco. Umbraco is an ASP.NET open source CMS. They rock. They're open. You can check them out at umbraco.org. Thanks, guys. So I think of myself as a programmer. I mean, ultimately, well, do I? I mean, I do teach, I do program, but I'm also kind of a performer. I give presentations, uh, kind of stand-up comedy with code or stand-up comedy with PowerPoint. The real motivation is is that one person who's going to get it. You look at a crowd, you might have a crowd of a thousand people, you might have a crowd of ten people. And you're trying to teach some new concept to them. And then you see someone's eyes light up. And you say, that guy, he got it. Or she's paying attention. And then you stop looking at the other 998 people. And you just start paying attention to those two that got it. Because you tell yourself, well, if, if, if these guys get it, then, you know, forget those other ones. But at least I've maybe changed their lives. And, you know, the best... The best emails, the best feedback, the best thing that you can hear after getting up in front of a crowd and giving your all for a solid hour is, wow, I can take this back to the office and use it right now. I've been doing this now. I've been doing this for ever, for my my whole adult life, from musical theater till now but you got to get amped right you got to get stoked up it's it's funny i always make a big deal out of how many people uh, show up to these talks it's less about the ego of saying i spoke to x number of people and it's more about the energy that you get from having that big crowd you've got to get a huge crowd of people you've got to get at least 100 people in a room really really sending you positive energy it's funny when uh, when phil hack and i give talks like we, we gave a talk at um, at Mix, and we were in Norway once, and we were just kind of all over the world. We always try to get like that Eye of the Tiger, you know, that's that's a ridiculous song from the from the 80s. Sometimes if, if the conference has it, we'll even play rock band. We'll have like Eye of the Tiger rock band. So there was a time there when Phil and I were like doing doing the talks on ASP.net, like boom, boom, talk, talk, talk. And it, before every single one of them, it was like, Eye of the Tiger and the something. But that got us amped. It was like, all right, here we go. Let's do it. It's showtime. And it's so ridiculous because we're freaking programmers, right? We're going to go up there. We're not going to tell jokes. We're not going to sing. We're not going to do opera. We're not going to do dramatic readings. I don't know. Maybe maybe it just kind of cheapens it. Like, I wonder if we're really, like, we're really a talent at all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, are we, is this, is, is this even a thing? Or is it just a bunch of geeks talking to a bunch of geeks? And, uh, and then there's the geek that's on stage. But uh, 
that getting that that amped up sense of all right, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to teach two people how to do something they didn't know before I got here. And you really have to prepare. I mean, you have to focus. You got to you got to sit down and prep. And the way that I get that motivation is I remember that if we're all peers, I'll put a dollar value like on our hourly rate. So let's say you have like, you know, 100 people and they all make $100 an hour, say, because it's a nice round number. So you have 100 people, that's $10,000 an hour. And then you see someone go on stage and present and then they, they screw up their demo. And you're like, oh, wow, you've only wasted $10,000. And then you think about something like speaking at like the Microsoft uh, company meeting. And that was like, what is that? 26,000 people times $100. You know, you talk for an hour, that's what is that, $2.6 million. Your goal, my goal, is always to not waste your time. A lot like I'm wasting your time right now. Motivation. Motivation, that is our topic for the week. How do you get motivated to go to work each day? I mean, who who would choose a profession that would put you behind a keyboard for hours and hours a week? 40 hours, 50 hours a week? I mean, what is that? Who would do this to themselves? Why are we not all ditch diggers? At least they're out in the sun. I sat down with Brad Wilson the other day. I was on campus in Redmond. Uh, I drive up every once in a while to, uh, to Seattle in the Redmond area to visit the Microsoft campus. And I always insist that people meet me at Qdoba or Chipotle, have some tacos. I sat down with Brad Wilson at Qdoba, and we talked. If you don't know Brad, Brad is, a, uh, is, a, is an intense guy. When Brad does something, he does it like a program. Brad's on a low-carb diet. And by low-carb, I mean no-carb. So he really wants lettuce and chicken, double chicken, and uh, cheese. But what does he order? He orders three tacos, hard shell, lettuce, chicken, and cheese. And I ask him, why did you order that when you don't really want the shells? He's like, well, it's cheaper this way. And it's just not worth telling them that I only want these things. So then he walks back to the table, flips over the hard shells, and tosses the hard shells. The guy, he's programming his life. He's programming his interactions. This is a guy who gets results. So I asked him, how do you get motivated? Why are you doing this thing? Why are you a programmer? Before I came to Microsoft, I basically worked at small companies, you know, mostly less than 100 people, but actually in a lot of cases, you know, 10 or 20 people. And uh, so, you know, several startups. And it was a young crowd. So it was a very different feel coming to Microsoft and realizing that, you know, not only were there a lot of young people, but there was also a lot of people who were significantly older than I was. And uh, until I came to Microsoft, I felt like, man, I'm, I'm getting pretty old. But there was, a, there was a while there when I thought I was going to get out of programming and actually go do something else. I was starting to get burned out. 
Um, so I'd actually seriously thought about going to law school and becoming a lawyer. <laughs> Give me that, that look like, ah, it's Mr. Crazy. I did not see that coming. Lawyer? Really? A lawyer? You know, but he would, he would program that job. He would, he would break it down, and he would make sure that all of the arguments compiled. And he would debug, and he would refactor, and then he would take that, that lawyery thing, and he would go to court, and he would break it down. Okay, I could see it. Strangely enough, the thing that, the thing that re-energized me in programming was uh, discovering Agile. Right, discovering agile methodologies. So this was, I want to say this is about 2000, and I had been thinking, you know, man, I'm I'm tired of of doing this. It's exhausting. And what I discovered was the thing that was exhausting was the way that everybody went about building software was this gigantic roller coaster, where you would, when you're in the crunch time, you know, you would work for. 40 hours a week in a normal time, but in a crunch time, you'd work 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And then you'd, you'd just, you know, bust your butt for three, four, five straight weeks. And it would be just, you'd be just exhausted at the end. And so what would end up happening is you'd get on the other side of the roller coaster, right? Everybody would take a couple of weeks off, basically. They'd work these 10 hour weeks the most and, uh, or just, you know, just take a bunch of time off and then sort of recharge and come back and do it again. And and it just turned out it wasn't sustainable. And that was what was killing me. Um, and then I sort of discovered the Agile stuff. And one of, the, one of the principles of Agile development is sustainable pace. And that's really, you know, you should be working roughly 40 hours a week. And uh, this whole idea that uh, you have this up and down cycle of let's crunch and let's decompress is just, you know, just doesn't work. And especially as you get older, I mean, when you're in your 20s, you you feel like you can do that for a while. It doesn't really seem to phase you, but you get into your 30s and you start thinking, man, I, I, I really, as it turns out, I, I like to sleep. You know, I, re- I really want my eight hours of sleep every day. <laughs> and uh, you just come home and you'd sleep for four hours, three, four days in a week, uh, a row in a week. And um, you'd be like, I just can't do this anymore. So um so that was what kind of re-energized me. So I'm, I'm actually kind of glad that I didn't, I didn't make that change, even though I actually think, you know, from a challenge standpoint, being a lawyer would have been a lot of fun. And I obviously would have focused on tech stuff, you know, patents or, or you know, technology law of some kind. But, um, but I'm actually really glad I didn't because I found at Microsoft that, uh, you know, the people in the environment were just a tremendous tremendous advantage you know when you work at these small companies you you tend to find yourself being the biggest fish in a small pond in a lot of cases and then i came to microsoft and it was the most awesome feeling in the world to walk into a room full of 10 people and say oh my god i'm the stupidest person here now i'm this i'm the first one to say that microsoft does some stupid things but really it's not about microsoft apple does stupid things google does stupid things stupid things happen at jack-in-the-box. But sometimes I don't think people really understand how amazing it is to work at a company full of geniuses. I mean, the collective may be stupider than the individual, but on an individual basis, walking down the halls and talking to these people that have invented these products that have changed the lives of millions of people is crazy. 
sitting in a meeting where you don't want to open your mouth because you're afraid that you're going to say something stupid, that sense of, I am the stupidest person here is totally different, especially if you came from an environment where you were big fish, small pond. So suddenly, I'm the tiniest fish. Who the, who the heck am I? It's extremely intimidating. It's so funny because we have all these kind of quasi-rock stars. These, uh, Like my wife doesn't know who Anders Heilsberg, the inventor of C-Sharp, is. And she would be totally comfortable talking to him at a you know, cocktail party. But I remember once we were checking out of a hotel in, uh, in Belgium. And I come down and I open the uh, elevator. And there's Anders checking out of the hotel what do you say how's the uh how's the weather oh that was stupid i think okay then it's c-sharp he knows the weather i like c-sharp it's awesome it's exactly what i wanted i want to be able to go to work every day and sit down with people who are going to teach me stuff and it doesn't matter whether this person who's teaching me stuff is 50 years old or 22 years old because they all have a different perspective than I do and they all have different experiences than I do and they all are really smart and really motivated and it's it's just fun hanging out with them above everything else so early in my career I used to think you know what's really important is to find really hard problems to solve and uh, now I think a stronger motivator for me is less about uh, the technology and less about the problems and more about the people, which actually you know, dovetails really well with this idea of agile, this idea that instead of you know, being the lone cowboy sitting in your office all the time, uh, you actually get together in a room and you act more socially, which I, I think is not necessarily a natural skill for most developers. And so it is a little challenging for people to to sit and be social, but the benefits are enormous. I mean, the productivity benefits are enormous, yeah, but you know, your your personal mental well-being is a lot better. You know, when you go home every day, you feel like not only did I have a great impact on the product, not only did I have a great impact on my customers, but you know, I got to hang out with some really cool, smart people and learn interesting things and have a good time. So that's really important to me now, too. I can't remember exactly when it was, but there was a time a couple of years ago when I would call you and like see how you were doing, and you would say, well, my my badge still works, and the door unlocked this morning. I just, you remember, I just said th- that this morning. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. You've been saying that for years. Yes. You, there was a time, and I'm telling tales out of school here, but I want to I dig into that, where you were just, you were working at Microsoft, to be clear, and you were like, man, this place man this place you know you know it's almost like the kind of the the technology equivalent of the dread pirate roberts you know go to go to bed good night and i'll most likely kill you in the morning because it was like with you it was like for a number of days there it was like all right good night and i'll most likely quit in the morning what was that demotivation there was unquestionably some times that i've had at microsoft that were a little more difficult than others and uh you know, a couple of years ago, that was that was pretty tough. So I actually, I started on the ASP.NET team two and a half years ago, and I feel like, you know, I've I found a really good home. Obviously, I wouldn't have been here for two and a half years if I didn't feel like I found a good home because, you know, I did, I did skip around a little bit. And honestly, some of that is when you have, you know, 13, 14 years of experience working in a very small company, 
um, the idea of having to to go along with a lot of the politics that work that are in play at a large company. I mean, it's not it's not easy. And even I've been here five and a half years now, and it's still not easy. I mean, it is it's challenging for me around you know commitment time and and annual review time. I, I feel like even today, a lot of it feels like busy work to me and so I still have to still have to struggle to do that but um, I know that the payoff is there uh, once you find you know a good team that uh, you know the, the payoff is worth it so um, you know I used to I used to tell people that you know in, in my first 13 years of working I met you know several people that I would want to work with again that you know were they were that smart and that interesting and that engaging that I'd want to work with them again and at Microsoft I met the same number in about the first week right so for me the payoff is um, you know I, I accept this stuff that that I'm not as excited about the the politics stuff and uh, and the advantage is getting to work with all these really tremendous people who do you know, amazing things and have just these smart, diverse points of view that it was just not possible to get in a small company. And, you know, I'll, I'll be the first one to say that when I first came to Microsoft, I didn't know if I was going to survive, how long I was going to survive, because it was really literally my first big job. And uh, it, it had to be a Microsoft kind of a company in order for me to be able to do that. You know, it wasn't just going to be let me go work for some big random place like, you know, like EDS or, or God forbid, you know, go work at some gigantic IT shop or anything like that. I just, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So, um, I do, I do jokingly though, every time I swipe my badge, I do jokingly think or say out loud, Hey, I guess I'm not fired yet. Um, so, cause there, you know, and, and part of it was for a while there, I was a little bit feeling a little bit negative and 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 people around me felt that little bit of negative but now it's kind of like hey I'm they're they're still interested in me you know I've had I've had low points even on the ASP.net team I've had low points where I thought you know I love working here but I'm not doing enough and I, I don't know if I'm doing enough to stay so you know when the first rounds of layoffs came uh, you know 14 15 months ago I thought to myself I I could be out of a job because I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm doing enough to contribute to this team, which, you know, is a pretty big change for the way I felt, you know, two or three years ago when we were, or, you know, three years ago when we were talking about, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm really unhappy where I am. So, but, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it so far and, and I'm not going anywhere right now. See, now this is where things are getting interesting. People and processes are becoming more important to Brad. And in the beginning, he was a nerd, a huge nerd. He just wants to solve problems. And then he finds that solving those problems weren't really the thing that got him going. Turns out it's people. Brad's motivation is interactions with people. You know, as developers, we all have a touch of that inner weirdo. We're all uh, just a little bit off. Some people go with it. Some people grow out of it. But Brad is changing his process, maybe his own personal agile process, and he's trying to do what he can to quiet that inner weirdo. That's an interesting observation. I would say that um, 
I would say sort of a related observation, which is um, in my early programming career, I would say I wasn't making any friends. And it's, you know, I don't, I don't mean to sound too negative about it. As some of the people who worked with me in my early job, I'm, you know, my early jobs, I'm sure they would, would say, hey, he's a very nice guy and I liked hanging out with him. But at the same time, I felt like, you know, I was there to kick ass and chew bubblegum, you know? And, um, and so I was, I was there about the technology and there about the problem solving and the people were very secondary. And in a lot of cases, I didn't socialize with a lot of people. I socialized with a few, but not a lot. And then, you know, the agile bit flipped for me 10 years ago. And then it started being more and more about people. And it, you know, it was a slow progression, but I would say that actually my biggest immersion into Agile was when I came to Microsoft, because the first job I had at Microsoft was working on the Patterns and Practices team. And um, these guys were, you know, they were very, fairly active Agile people. We had a team room, you know, I was working with people like Peter Provost and Scott Densmore and Brian Button. And uh, even for a while there, I was working with Ward Cunningham. You know, Ward Cunningham was in a room with us. I paired with Ward, and Ward would sit in on our meetings. Uh, you know, Ward's inventor of the wiki, and and uh, you know, one of the one of the founding people who sort of described the agile process on the C2 wiki. And uh, it was very educational to me. And so now that I look back on it, I mean, in hindsight, I can see that 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 changed 10 years ago when I was almost burned out. That changed from technology to people. Um, was very much about me becoming an adult, right? It was very much about me looking at that. 2000, I would have been about 28. So I would have been, you know, just had gotten married. Um, so starting to feel like um, like it was time for me to, to make some life changes and not be, not be so much of a cowboy and sort of a lone wolf. Um, and Microsoft has really sort of solidified that for me. I found, you know, just a lot of people that were that were very interesting and it, it made the people side of it much more worth it to me. So so when I go and look for my next job at Microsoft, whenever that is, and to my bosses, I'm not looking, so <laughs> don't be panicked. But you know, the next time I go looking, it's not gonna be about the technology. It's not gonna be, you know, is it C sharp or is it C or is it, you know, whatever technology is it. Uh, it's gonna be more about the people and and how involved people are working together to solve the problems as opposed to, you know, what, what can I do, but how can I contribute to the team? You can read Brad's blog up at bradwilson.typepad.com. Thanks to Brad for his time and for the tacos. Until now, we have been focusing all of our stories on developer stories, and I suppose that fits with the name of the podcast, but I wanted to do something a little bit different 
for this week. I wanted to see if I could make you just a little bit uncomfortable. Now, I know that might sound a little bit strange, but when you're talking about motivation, hey, it goes both ways. You know, you can be motivated to do good things, be motivated to be evil. And if there is one person in the technology field that is pretty much reviled by all developers, well, I suppose it would be this guy. You definitely take on the prison yard mentality where you got to find, you got to go walk up to the biggest dude and punch him in the mouth or, you know, kick him in the nuts. And just, you know, set the tone that, you know, your data access comes through me. Don't piss me off. That's Rob Sullivan, a DBA that works at a rather large company, lording over application developers or app devs, as he likes to say, making them miserable, essentially. I'm going to warn you up front. This is a bit of a challenging set of stories that Rob is going to tell you. But I actually found it quite enjoyable. This is one of the funnest interviews I think I've had. Rob is both affable, professional, incredibly smart, and also ruthless. But as he describes his position working with developers and having to safeguard the data in the database, you begin to see why these guys get so cranky. So what I'll ask you as you're listening to this, have a little patience. If you're a developer and you work with a DBA that you don't understand, have some patience because, hey, this guy's motives aren't so far from your own. Let's let Rob tell his story. When I was five years old, it wasn't a lifelong dream that, oh, I'm going to manage all these bites and I'm, you know, I'm going to be like a huge relational dude. I mean, that, you know, that's not the life goal. But you know, in time, uh, I started out on the networking side. And you know, oftentimes in you know, network and system administration, you end up at some point having to support a database for some reason. And I think at this time, we had a, you know, a, a Slackware Halifax server that uh, you know, it was Perl and MySQL. I started there and, you know, worked over into SQL Server and uh, all this stuff, you know, just, just that whole complete, you know, to the book accidental DBA progression. Then uh, I think like any, like any IT person who really gives a crap about their job, it, you know, you start learning more and you start diving deep and you start taking on responsibility. And then, you know, lo and behold, you know, you are the DBA. Found myself laughing when talking to Rob about this because, you know, I worked at a company um, before I was really into programming and I was the only one who knew Access at the time. This is years ago. And so, you know, people just started sending me Excel spreadsheets and saying, hey, Rob, put this in there and, oh, can you run this query? And, yep, next thing you know, I'm a DBA. If you take a moment and you talk to these guys and you ask them, hey, how did you get started? Each one of them will usually say, well, I used to kind of work in systems admin or I was an IT person or I was just the schmuck that knew Excel or DB4 or whatever. And next thing I'm a DBA. So you start to see that these guys, generally speaking, fall into their jobs. It's not like it's something they picked, but then they grow to like it and they grow to hate you. guys don't understand as developers is that you know all you're doing is you're just connecting to these procedures and you want everything to run and be performant but there's a whole like underground that happens behind the scenes you know with the IT manager you know asking me why aren't why is the database not performant or you know the different stats I'm looking at behind the scenes to see oh you know we're we have a real index issue here and you know how do I schedule maintenance or you know networking's changed a port on the firewall. So now, you know, Windows users can't authenticate, you know, past the DMZ. You know, there's, there's all these different things that go on behind the scenes. And, you know, as a DBA, you know, I have to have a pretty large knowledge base to be able to quickly uh, troubleshoot these in a, 
you know, a way that, you know, causes minimal downtime. You know, it's something that uh, you don't see the cracks in the bridge as you're going over it. You know, everything just needs to work and it needs to happen. And as any good self-righteous DBA sees things is that, you know, I am essentially the pillar. I'm the, I'm the thing that is preventing the rushing water or whatever is gap that the bridge is trying to overcome. I'm essentially the part that's keeping that going because, you know, without my data, your app is, well, it's kind of worthless. <laughs> you know, truth be told, it's, you know, what do you have? You have a bunch of pretty tags that display nothing. Or I guess you could run everything in memory and hope you don't reboot. Because of these pressures that you may not see where my manager is on top of me and or users are on top of me for performance, I have to have essentially tyrannical control to make sure that what you do, you know, doesn't doesn't tear down my gates and doesn't flood my village or, you know, you're essentially an aggressor on my data and how you access it is paramount. You know, if we have, you know, a four million row table, I can't just give you, you know, a free pass to go to town and, and do whatever you want. So, and I think that's, and I think that's part of the situation I face is, is that of the trust, you know, uh, levels of trust have to be established. And if I can't trust you to keep me out of my boss's office, I have to control the path you go on, and I have to manufacture trust, I guess is the way to put it. I can feel you squirming in your seat. And what you can't hear in the background is as Rob is telling his story. Well, I've muted my microphone because I was laughing the whole time he was saying it. It's just such a wonderful ability that he has to just come out with it, to say the truth, to say what every DBA thinks. They don't like you. The the ratio of like app dev to DBAs is very slanted towards app dev. It's easier for all of you to screw up something that can cause a whole lot of work for me, whereas whether you know I can keep, I can kind of quarantine everything. I can handle the load or what all you, what you guys are all trying to do. And it lets me, I guess, com- compartmentalize you guys into manageable blocks. You're, you're my little building Legos. It's really easy to listen to Rob's stories and say, oh my God, this guy is a douchebag. It's what most developers think of database administrators. So you got to forgive the guy if he sounds a little, well, douchebaggy. And it's at this point that I think we need to do a little thought exercise. So just give me a second here. Let's let's do this together. You, most likely, when you get paid, your money goes into a bank. Probably also have an online banking thing where you log in through the web and you can access your account and you can pay people and so on. So imagine now you're at your bank, you're doing some banking, and you look at the teller in passing and you say, hey, so... Your online banking is is sort of wonky. How do you guys do that? I mean, do you do you have a contractor that does it? Is it somebody who does it internally? How does that happen? And the teller looks back at you and says, well, Mr. Connery, come this way. And then she lifts open a partition in the counter, lifts it up. You walk underneath it. You walk towards the back of the bank. She opens up a door. And inside, you see a developer, much like yourself, sitting at a desk. There's a couple of monitors on the desk and the developer peers over the top of one and looks at you and says, yeah, man, can I help you with something? And you say, yeah, uh, your web software, just wondering, you know, 
How's it made? So he flips the monitor around and he shows you platform he's using, which you recognize you might or might not respect. And then you say to him, wait a minute, you have direct access to my account. So you can just, what do you just, you can read a transaction and you can write a transaction. Wait a minute. How do you know that some aberrant transactions aren't being written by your software? And he looks back at you and says, dude, you sound just like a DBA. So coming back to our story, Rob is the guy who's sitting between this developer and your bank account. That is how he is viewed inside of these large corporations. The people who employ DBAs to safeguard the data against the web applications that well, may or may not work as expected. We battle these guys. We fight these guys. We shouldn't be. They're the ones that are saving our asses from getting fired when our application blows up and destroys the one thing of value that our clients hold dear. The data. Oh, it happens all the time. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a shoe on the other foot or grass is always greener. Like, that's, that's challenging to you probably because, I mean, you haven't sit and done it over and over. I mean, you haven't developed your own little techniques to make it easier or, or you know, your kind of ETL unit tests, if you will. And like, say, well, say I go to just implement, uh, you know, uh, open authentication on a website. I'm probably going to struggle. I mean, not that I can't figure out, but I'm probably going to be a little slow and struggle a little bit just because it's not something I do on a regular basis. And I don't know the little tricks and the little training wheels I can ride to, you know, make sure I do it timely and accurately. And to me, that's just, you know, how do you approach your trade? And, you know, what you, you develop tricks to do your job better. And I've just done a lot more times and I have better tricks. It's kind of like, a, you know, if you do a production update, sometimes uh you know i get an email request saying we have to back up all of production because i want to run this update i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> you know let's, let's do let's just back up the table and you know go or let's just back up the file you know we don't have to <laughs> you know we don't have to part the red sea just for you to update this row or why are you even updating it to begin with just give me the query i'll do it you know don't worry about it uh this is <laughs> this is actually a, a project and I hope I don't know if he's going to be listening or not. There is a link implementation on this particular database, and how it was constructed was such that uh, you know once I changed this database over, it wasn't using an alias or anything. The dude had so many hard-coded server you know uh, server names that it just you know a quick little web config update turned into like a half-day ordeal, and it was awful. But you live and learn, and hopefully you do it once. You know, kind of one thing I say is uh, ignorance is expensive and doing something the wrong way ends up having a lot of cost. <laughs> and that that's just a classic case of, you know, these are free, simple ways that you can start to insulate yourself and mitigate problems. And when you ignore it and you're down a half day over something simple, it gets really expensive. It's at this point that I get to share with you a story that I'm sure is brewing in the back of your mind. And... It's the story of how I completely screwed up. In fact, I'm unwinding myself from yet another one of those screw-ups right now. And TechPub, which is my business that I own, and I'm also the guy that built the site, well, I overlooked a couple of validations, a couple of things I should not have overlooked. Now, if I had Rob on my staff, I'm sure he would have caught it. 
but I was in such a hurry. I wanted to get the application out there, customers were waiting, and I ended up screwing up one major aspect that I'm now unwinding and having to fix. Rob is right. We need someone like him to check us in terms of the data that goes into our system, the data that is going to make our company's money. And that's at this point that I actually start to feel bad for the guy. I mean, we give DBAs such a hard time in our industry. I mean, how do they keep motivated? I mean, how do they keep going to their jobs? This is kind of the anti-motivation. I mean, this is picking yourself up when everybody around you, as Rob said, application developers outnumber DBAs constantly. How do you go to work when they're constantly throwing daggers at you? Yeah, uh, luckily, I mean, Rob, I'm a huge, huge nerd and you know, part of what keeps me from burning out on databases is when I go home, you know, computers are my hobby, is I'll go and program and I'll go and, because like to me, to me, a good DBA, like I really want to know what, how you access the data and like, you know, I'll go home and just play with different data access technologies. Because I want to know, like, if you have a problem accessing data, I want to be able to hopefully hop in, help you out and go whatever. But a lot of problems I have are with permissions. And this app that people think that it's okay to run as database owner or it's okay to run as SA and it's just so not okay for a variety of reasons. And I get into completely condescending talks of I'll just say, hey, why are you, why does your program need to change the memory configurations on SQL Server? You'd be like, what? Like, well, I mean, it, it has to be doing something like changing memory configurations or, or, or realigning TempDB or something like what? No, it's like, well, why are you running as SA then? And it, to, to me, it's, it's, I like, and this is a, a sick lust I have of when you have a bad configuration or something where an app dev, whether unknowing or what, has a bad configuration or some bad practice and you know it and you smell the blood and you get, and you just pick like the most condescending way to hone in on the kill. It's, it's a sick delight. Someone's unknowingly created an N plus one scenario. Quick tangent, if you don't know what a N plus one situation is, it is um, a situation you get into with object relational mappers, especially ones that have been released in the last three to five years. So if you're a Microsoft developer, that would be linked to SQL or Entity Framework. If you're a Rails developer, that would be Active Relation. So these things allow you to build out your database query in code. And when you build out that query, it's it's not executed. Uh, it uses what's called delayed execution. Only when you enumerate or when you directly execute it, will it then be sent to the database. Well, a lot of times the records that you seek will have related records. So you can imagine you might do a query for categories, show me all the categories, and then you might want to loop over products. Well, when you do that, you would say category.products. And when you do that, when you loop over each product, that is a individual connection and select statement that is sent to the database. Select N plus one. Uh, it gets worse from there, but essentially it can destroy uh, the performance of an application. It is one of the big problems that ORM tools have. Database administrators, oh yeah, love it. And I'm watching it in Profiler and, <laughs> and I see it happened. And I know that the, the only reason that this situation has occurred is because the, the dev person, you know, they haven't been kind of looking at what they're doing. You know, they, they haven't really figured out maybe deferred execution or whatever. 
and I see it happening. <laughs> the blood is in the water. My fangs come out. It is time to pounce. And I'll just casually walk up and say, what are you doing over here? You know, what, what's your application doing? Like, are you, are you trying to pull some giant audit for someone? I go, what do you mean? It's like, well, you're running all these selects over all this data. And they're like, I mean, you have to be doing something massive. Like, I mean, are you, are you doing a whole like dump of the database and just something local? Like, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to get this. It's like, well, you probably need to start looking at, you know, insert technology or whatever there. A lot of times it depends on the person. It depends on how much coffee I've had. It depends on how much traffic is on the way to work. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that play into, you know, maybe the veracity that I approach it with or maybe their mood. But I think typically after a little bit, after enough time at a job, I've, I think I've usually established enough street cred that, you know, this guy does know what he's talking about, you know, especially with regard to data access and the database that it's kind of just accepted and I just watch them wallow in shame. I guess personality trait that makes me great at being a DBA is that I guess by nature I'm an anti-authoritative contrarian. <laughs> so while my my attitude, like if I worked with me, I would probably hate me. But for the fact that I am me and that I am pigeoned to hold into this <laughs> DBA role where I have a certain amount of power that I can flex and you know, a certain amount of understandings, it's I wouldn't say I'm self-loathing at times, but it is fun to just unleash. <laughs> this can't be a fun job. I mean, I wouldn't want to have to go to work and have to fight against a fleet of developers that think you're a, you know, a douchebag. And it goes both ways, really. He's watching you run these queries using the latest ORMs, sending select N plus one to his database, running as SA or system administrator, which is root level for those of you not familiar with Microsoft databases. And he's watching this happen and he's thinking, these guys got to be jokers. Now, truth be told, I sort of empathize with Rob a little bit, but there's a part of me that wonders, you know, you knew this job was going to be dangerous when you took it. I mean, isn't there a part of you that sort of relishes this Napoleonic power trip? Oh, completely. I, mean, I, I probably wouldn't be a DBA if, if you didn't relish it at some point. It's... I don't know, maybe maybe it's just like the small guy mentality or something, but, you know, you start to thrive off the control. And, you know, I, I am your point of venture. I am your toll bridge. Pay up. What motivates me is I come from a, a musical background, and I really loved, like, playing in bands in the kind of that improv or where you're writing a song to where uh, you, you, you've practiced X amount, you, you know, you've worked out the kinks, and on, before you know it, you're a team that has hit that groove. And whether... You know, I'm the bass player or the drums. There's just this mesh and something comes together and you end up with, you know, you may, you may have some spouts in practice or some, some rough edges or some hurdles in a song or something, but when you get on stage and everything goes smoothly and there's that 
virtual tranquility that comes like with a badass app, I mean, you love it. It's <laughs> it's it's like an, a virtual adrenaline rush. It's it's kind of silly to portray it as that exciting, but I mean it's it's awesome. Like when it all clicks, it's usually a great time for a uh, team building exercise that involves lots of beer and high fives and, and good work. But it, it's a it's a different satisfaction on my side because I. Because to me, like I'm pulling in different things, or I'm watching execution plans, and I'm seeing the app run. You know, we've just got ten times the users, but everything's still running in blank in blink speed, and I'm seeing everything be so performant. The indexes are working. You know, everything's great, and it's like I, you know, I did it. I pulled it off. We we started from nothing, and we built you know a monument. We you know we did it together, and it's it's a fun feeling. As I was talking to Rob, I have to say this is one of the more surprising parts of the interview. You know, you'd think of DBAs as in a defensive crouch, sort of like sumo wrestlers, you know, standing in front of their database, basically saying, I'll flatten you. Don't even think you can do anything without a stored procedure. Just try it. And, you know, you rarely think of them as taking part in, you know, the launch of an application, rejoicing as things just are kind of working and people say, ooh, this is neat. That's a great feeling. It is probably one of the greatest feelings in all of software is, is pushing something live for the very first time. So when Rob told me this, I was pretty intrigued. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, uh, you're a DBA. You're kind of like IT systems guy. You sit in your cave. You make sure I don't blow up the database. But wow. So, you, you know, you understand what it feels like to push something live. That's great. Have you ever done anything else with development? And I got to say, what comes next pretty much knocked me right off my chair. Like a lot of times when you're exploring new things and, you know, in IT and a project comes up, you want to assess the risk and, you know, how do I establish risk? And for me, it's like, okay, if I want to get out of trying to support a new technology or, or conceding ground to an ORM, I just establish enough risk to where no one wants to partake in it. You know, I'll go home and I'll start coding and I'll just come up with, you know, XYZ scenario that is like, you know, a proof of concept that says run away. And, you know, I uh, volunteer, you know, at user groups. So I happen to be really busy and I thought, well, I'll just download this tech pub video on the Entity Frameworks so I could, you know, kind of get up to speed and I could supplement for some of that learning so I could quickly hop in and just destroy Entity Framework. We won't have to use it. Everything can stay in nice, sweet stored procedures where I'm happy and I can control that and I can you know, hop in and fix or something if need be. And through the course of the video, like I saw the wrong way to do things, which I thought was awesome. It's like, cool, you know, I can totally see how to break things. But the problem is I kept watching and I saw how to do the right thing. And the realization, like, I guess you could say I went from pessimistic driven development of trying to look for the bad in a technology and why I'd want to run from it to seeing like the optim optimist uh, optimist driven development and I could see like I could start to understand the power and some of this some of these seeds have been planted before like uh, like when SQL Server 2000 like the whole like trying to force SQL Server to do uh, a shortcut value or a short circuit evaluation like no matter how many no matter how explicit I was MIT SQL, like the query engine's gonna do what it wants to do. 
I mean, I can merely suggest and hope that it short circuits, but it's going to ultimately make the decision. So like those layers of abstract, of abstract were already, you know, those seeds were already planted and, you know, flowers are starting to grow there. And what I saw, what I saw with the EF was just that abstraction, I guess, kind of taken to the next level of, you know, the tools and the technologies exist to where, you know, you can, you can recurb, you can curb some of the issues like, like the N plus one, you know, if you're using the profiler, you know, seeing tools like the profiler made all the difference, seeing that, look, I don't have to incur all this burden. I don't have to take on all this weight of wondering what the app is going to do. You know, the app devs, they can handle that. They can, you know, they can run this tool and they can see before I freak out about what's going on that, look, I have a problem. And that, that really started to change things for me because then it's a, kind of what I said earlier about having to manufacture trust. Like I could, I could say, you know, if you, if you run this, you can start establishing trust with me and, and, you know, I'll let you date my database because, because you know, I, I don't, I don't have the liability of you totally screwing something up. And likewise, I can have access to the code and run it myself and see, and hopefully uh, look at the source control check-in to see who's really screwed something up. And that's, it kind of, it kind of dawned on me that, wow, you know, maybe, Maybe I can lighten up a little bit on this. And maybe, maybe with the right process and the right technologies, this isn't so bad. And it, I was, I was kind of concussed for a day, like just this, you know, this kind of acceptance. I've been, I've been like such an anti-ORM guy. Like I'm the antithesis to Atwood. You know, he hates stored procedures. I love them, embrace them. You know, I, I use them to keep me warm. And the, and the fact that that world might be crumbling was, uh, it, I don't know, it left me kind of confused. days and uh we went on a trip to uh springfield illinois which is like a nine and a half hour drive <laughs> and this, this happened like a couple days after the concussion the orm concussion and during that drive i got a lot of time to think and i got a lot of time to kind of process it and you know slowing down and you're not freaking out it you know my, my my job and my role it doesn't go away it just shifts a bit and and what I really had to think about was not like being afraid of ORMs or thinking it's going to take my job, but just what you do with any new technology is you, is you take what you know and you take your tools and you take like your, your processes and you just tweak them a bit. And it lets me, and instead of just like shooting down a, you know, an app dev request for an ORM, I can say, well, cool, you know, we, we can explore this and we go down this path if you do this. And likewise, if you do this, you will get this. And, you know, if, if you can set up enough things or, you know, provide me enough information to where, you know, I can, like, if there is a problem and it comes to that, to where I can, you know, isolate it or contain it, or, you know, or if, if we get at an impasse, if you'll just concede to use a stored procedure, then yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's go for it. Let's see what we can build. Let's, let's make a monument. You can read more about Rob Sullivan and his musing on databases, stored procedures, and all the things that we application developers hate. Up at datachomp 
datachomp.com. You can also follow him on Twitter with the handle datachomp. Many, many thanks to Rob for his candid thoughts for this story. it's important that we thank our sponsors without them this show would not happen to start Twilio Twilio Cloud Communications if you want to build powerful voice and SMS apps our friends at Twilio can solve that problem for you just like they solved ours also open source Rob and I both love open source we both like the guys at Umbraco Umbraco is an open source ASP.NET CMS and they've taken upon themselves to help us out sponsoring the show Thanks so much to both of you guys. This has been episode eight of This Developer's Life. My name is Rob Connery. And this is Scott Hanselman. Thank you so much for listening. Just a dirt bag under the